0: Today's episode was recorded live at Wizard World just this past Saturday, December 1st at the Alliant Energy Center in Madison, Wisconsin. And if you're not familiar with Wizard World, it's a multi-genre fan convention spanning the full gamut of pop culture. Everything from comic books to movies to TV shows to books and all forms of sci-fi and fantasy. Just a really neat event for fans of that type of media. Thank you to everyone who attended our live discussion, including the many fantastic cosplay characters that were in the audience, and that really made being a presenter extra fun. In our audience, we had so many different characters, including Tina from Bob's Burgers, uh, Luigi from Super Mario Brothers, and I think there were some Roman soldiers and tons of other characters. (laughs) But without further ado, here is the recording of our discussion of Evil from Serial Killers to Slender Man.
1: All right. Hi everybody. My name is Mike Huberty. I am uh with the Madison Ghost Tour, Madison and I'm also one of the hosts of See You on the Other Side Podcast.
2: And I'm allison Jornlin, I'm his sister. And uh Unfortunately. I, <laughs> I run Milwaukee And I'm also a speaker at hawaiiparacon.com as well. If you guys like the paranormal and you like Hawaii, why not come join us in July. Thank you.
3: (laughs) Uh, My name is Scott Marcus. I run whatsyourghoststory.com. I've uh, covered a lot of Chicago paranormal uh, locations, as well as I used to run the haunted LA and Hollywood tours.
0: And I'm Wendy Lynn Stotts, one of the co-hosts of See You on the Other Side podcast, and I'm also a tour guide for the Waukesha Haunted uh, Downtown Ghost Tour. So Welcome. Oh. Yes. No, thank you for coming to our podcast
1: on Evil today. Uh, we were excited to talk about Evil, uh, basically because if we're at a Comic-Con, we're at Wizard World, you know that we're going to be into uh, superheroes science fiction supernatural all that kind of stuff and when you're into that the antagonist is almost always evil it it, the thing is is but what is evil you know when you're when you're watching something and you see somebody like snidely whiplash just tie a woman to uh you know to like a train tracks like why is he doing that like does does he hate women does he hate train conductors and wants to make the
2: life (laughs)
1: You know, why are people doing these things? I mean, what is evil? What motivates these things that make it possible for the protagonists of the fiction and the pop culture that we love to go out there and save the world? Like, do people just want to destroy something? Do they just want to ruin people's lives? Well, there are very real... Uh, basis and they're very real things about evil in our own world and we kind of wanted to present that with today's live podcast and talk about some of Wisconsin connections that we have to evil some of their paranormal connections and the bases there and so today we're going to talk about uh, some four real-life evils from right here in Wisconsin uh, that have paranormal implications and also have non-paranormal implications if you're not a believer. Uh, Talking about occult rituals, than what they have to do with serial killers. Uh, demonic possession, what that has to do with mental illness. Uh, calling spirits, which sometimes could be attributed to death by misadventure. And uh, doing the bidding of an evil master, which in our case is going to refer to a real evil of bullying. So. Just kind of getting there, talking about these bases. And then if you guys have some questions or something we missed or something you really want to talk about at the end, we're going to have time for questions and comments and all that kind of thing. So starting out, the name of the presentation is From Serial Killers to Slender Man. So we should probably uh, meet the elephant in the room. Jeffrey, Jeffrey Dahmer. Yeah. And I mean, I I can remember very well the day that Jeffrey Dahmer like entered the national consciousness. when It was like over the summer, and I was in high school, or just about, yeah, after the summer, like right before freshman year of high school, and my mother's like, there's some really bad news out of Milwaukee today. And we grew up, we were in the burbs, Alice and I grew up in the burbs, and I'm like, oh, what what kind of bad news can that be? You know, thinking it's silly, like, what, did did we lose all our beer? You know, something stupid. (laughs) right? And she's like, no, uh, there's a guy who cuts up and eats people in, you know, who lives like not too far away from your Aunt Lorraine. And I'm like, ah, and, and that's the thing. You're like, oh my God. And it was everywhere all at once. And, you know, he killed uh, 17 different young men from the years of 1978 to 1991 with, it was very like he started accelerating at the end. He started going after a victim per week in 1991, and that's how they eventually caught him when he brought someone in and uh, the guy got away. He convinced, you know, like, he, he was handcuffed, like Jeffrey Dahmer had him handcuffed to the bed, and somehow he convinced him that, like, maybe you shouldn't handcuff my other hand, and Jeffrey's like, okay, and then he figured out a way.
2: <laughs> I wonder why. <laughs> yeah, he's like, yeah, <laughs> right? He's like, well, maybe this is gonna be weird. <laughs> what did he want that other hand for?
1: Um, Sorry. Hey. Uh, but, but that's the thing. And so he gets away, he finds the cops, and says, like, there's this crazy dude up there. The cops are like, all right, we gotta go check it out. They go into his apartment, and uh, as they, you know, first of all, it's, the first thing they notice, it smells horrible. I'm like, man, this place smells horrible. What's going on? Uh, they see Jeffrey Dahmer, who's nice and polite, reeks of beer because he's drunk. Jeffrey Dahmer was constantly drinking, starting when he was like 14 years old. Um, he'd go to, like, high school drunk. And, I mean, obviously, when you talk about the things that numb you from the, the horrific acts you were about to commit. We talk about evil. I mean, Jeffrey Dahmer is a very easy face to put to it. And there's, you know, 17 young men's lives who were destroyed that can attest to that fact. But it wasn't just that. Things became salacious very quickly, especially when the police looked in his fridge and found body parts. And they found frozen heads in the freezer. And they found somebody's even in heart frozen. And Dahmer was like, oh, I I was saving that. Uh, Like, right, like like you would the turkey from Thanksgiving. And 1991, America was ready for a cannibalistic serial killer. February of 1991, Silence of the Lambs comes out. And even though Anthony Hopkins is only in the movie for like 20 minutes, like he... He's a revelation. I mean, I must—I probably saw that movie a week before, uh, because we saw it at budget theaters because our parents were cheap. Um, (laughs) It was a buck a film, and so I probably saw it a week before that this news came out. And it almost—I mean, at the end, you're like you're laughing along with his jokes and stuff like that. Like Hannibal Lecter's a terrible—he's charming. yeah, Yeah, right. But I mean, by the next movie, he's like the star. They call the movie Hannibal. They don't call it Clarice; (laughs) they call it Hannibal, and I mean, and he's the star of the film, and so we're ready for this kind of cannibalistic. Like we're 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 primed for it. We saw it in the movie, and when you think about horror movies in 1991, you basically have Freddy Krueger, you got Jason Voorhees, you got Pinhead, and by this time, Pinhead's a joke. I mean, you guys saw Hellraiser three; that was crap, and you know,
2: I love that movie.
1: (laughs) No, Hellraiser two. Hellraiser two is a classic. I'm not. Nobody's messing with Clive Barker here but things got more ridiculous as the series went on. I digress Um, But horror is a joke and it's it's not this like serious genre or whatever Anthony Hopkins come in Ted Demi makes this fantastic movie of sounds of the lambs and it wins best picture a horror movie Where a dude eats the face of another dude is the best picture of the year And Billy Crystal comes out at the Oscars with the Hannibal Lecter mask on like on you know on the gurney they take him out there and he just enters the national consciousness and so Jeffrey Dahmer hitting in July of 1991 just five months after the Sounds of the Lambs is released I mean that was just that was just pouring gasoline on the fire you know a lot of focuses on the cannibalistic aspect of Jeffrey Dahmer even though that was just something he kind of did as an experiment and this is kind of what I want to get to when we talk about the nature of evil. Is that the stuff he did when he talks to these psychiatrists and everything in 60 hours of his confession? He almost comes off as sympathetic. When you read articles on Jeffrey Dahmer on the internet now, there are people who like come under, they're like, yeah, he just wanted a friend. And you're like, whoa, he wanted a real bad friend, you know, like, because he wanted to have the perfect sex slave. And so he'd meet, in the beginning, he would just meet guys at bathhouses, and he'd drug them and then have sex with them while they were knocked out. And then he got kicked out of the bathhouses. And then he started picking guys at clubs, and then he couldn't go to the same clubs anymore because they knew he was the dude who would spike your drink and have sex with you while you were sleeping. And once he got that reputation, he had to trick guys into coming over and do it at his house. He would drug them, and um, they'd eventually wake up and freak out because he raped them while they were sleeping. And so how do you stop that? Well, you kill them. And in his confession, he's like, I, didn't, I don't feel good about killing them. I never enjoyed it. Uh, I mean, I, I did it because I, I wanted to feel the connection, that sexual connection with a perfectly passive being. He says, I want to create a zombie. He drugs them so they're not feeling anything, drills a hole in their head, and pours hydrochloric acid into the hole in their head, hoping it will melt their brain, and they become his zombie slave. So he's performing this occult ritual to try and create a zombie out of a human being. Does this to, you know, a whole bunch of guys in the summers of 1990 and 1991 in Milwaukee. And then he wants to create this power altar. And this is, I mean, I didn't even hear about this at the time, but he draws it out for the investigators. And he says, if you would've came to my place in six months, this is what you would've seen. And it, I hate to say it looks like a, like a gamer den, but it looks like a gamer's den because there's a black chair at the bottom and then there's this black table and that black table was where he would take photographs of the bodies once he dismembered them uh, in different sexual positions and he's got skulls lined across the table that are painted and he had pre-painted the skulls and they were in his fridge and then he's got two full skeletons painted at the side and this is his altar and he thought that if he sat there concentrated, he told him I finally wanted a place where I felt like I was at home and he was creating this power altar, where he'd feel like he was home and concentrate on finding wealth through real estate ventures and like just some like crazy fantasy. It was know. an
2: altar to himself.
1: Yeah, because like, right, exactly. Because when they asked him, "What are you, who are you building this altar to? Like God or the devil or anything?" He's just like, "To me." And um, like, so what's the evil there? Is it is it is it because he's mentally ill? Is it because? He never felt like, is it because his parents uh, didn't take good care of him? Is it because he never had real friends? Is it because he uh, could feel like he, could, he never could feel like he was in love? So all those different things, like what caused him to do this kind of evil stuff to create a, like a power altar? And he gets in the national consciousness, so people feel like that kind of sympathy. He just wanted a friend. In the original cut of Demolition Man, Wesley Snipes, and this is before Jeffrey Dahmer was killed in prison, so the idea where he was still in the cryogenic prison. Wesley Snipes is like, Jeffrey Dahmer's in here. I love that guy. He says this in the movie, and they cut it out of the TV version because people are like, maybe you shouldn't say you love Jeffrey Dahmer in your your jokey future movie where people take shells to wipe their butts. Um, I'm not messing on Demolition Man, but uh, in music... Like, they, feed, they talk about Jeffrey Dahmer all the time. And Dark Horse by Katy Perry. Like, they're probably playing that song for children as we speak somewhere. Like, they talk about Jeffrey. Like, I'm going to eat you like Jeffrey Dahmer. Oh, that's nice, little one. Like, let's, you know, Eminem is always bringing him up. But Eminem, I mean, he loves killing people in his songs. That's his thing. <laughs> uh, Kesha's Cannibal. She talks about Jeffrey Dahmer. Outcast, those friendly, hey, yeah, guys. <laughs> like, they're sorry, Miss Jackson. They're sorry about Jeffrey Dahmer. And so he's in all of that kind of stuff, and he kind of invades our pop culture. So much so when you talk about how how evil finds a way from being the most shocking thing in the world to then being something that you can visit Friday nights in Milwaukee. Yes. (laughs) Right.
2: (laughs) Yes, I I just went on the uh, Cream City Cannibal tour last night, yes, they run them every Saturday and Friday night in Milwaukee, where you can see some of the spots where uh, Jeffrey Dahmer um, hunted. Now, I don't run a tour like that, because I think that there's a lot of people that are still hurting, but it is part of history, and um, as you can see, there are lots of pop culture connections. Um, So this um, comic book that you see, uh, My Friend Dahmer by uh, John uh, Durf Backdorf, he went to school with Dahmer in Ohio and knew him in a completely different way. So wrote a comic about about you know this adolescent who was very sympathetic and um, kind of lost, really. and again it's it's a sympathetic look at somebody who would later do horrible things. Now, um, since I'm from Milwaukee, Uh, I have heard ghost stories that may or may not be associated with Jeffrey Dahmer. Disembodied voices uh, have been heard at uh, the Milwaukee County Courthouse um, all over the building uh, according to security guards and there's a cell up on uh, the fifth floor which used to be the old jail and that's Jeffrey Dahmer's cell and it's still that that old jail still untouched so it, it when the security goes through there, they very much feel freaked out or feel the presence of Jeffrey Dahmer because they go by his cell and it's still the same as it was uh, back when he uh, did his time there. Now the night shift cleaning crew also report slamming doors and chairs that move on their own on the fourth floor. So again, uh, the security there associates with, it with Jeffrey Dahmer, but he didn't die there, so I'm not sure you know, whether that's valid or not. But we do know that uh, Jeffrey Dahmer's first Wisconsin victim was uh, killed at the Ambassador Hotel, which is uh, 20th in Wisconsin. It's still open today. Price line, you can get
1: it for like 60 bucks. Yeah, it's and deal. it's really
2: a beautiful place, especially room 507. Uh, uh, <laughs> a, a gentrified hotel um, that back in the day was it was just 30 bucks to get a room. So uh, Jeffrey Dahmer had rented a room there, and then convinced uh, Stephen Toomey to um, come up to the room with him, and then Jeffrey Dahmer awoke in the morning and found uh, Stephen Tume's, uh body right next to him. It was bruised all around the chest, and uh, there was blood coming out of the mouth, and he was dead. And Jeffrey Dahmer claimed that was the only one of his victims where he claimed that uh, he had no recollection of what happened. Uh, he did not remember killing him or even wanting to kill him. Now... Um, of course, if you go to the Ambassador Hotel, they'll disavow this, but it is in newspaper accounts at the time. Just to ask uh, for the, the blackout smoke. Yeah, of the time that, um, that Jeffrey Dahmer did kill his first Milwaukee victim there. So, however, uh, there are haunting reports there, but these reports are of a female apparition, which just doesn't seem to mesh. Uh, this female apparition is, has been seen walking the halls, and might not have anything to do with Steven's death. Uh, now, this um, ghost has been reported to torment, torment employees. One of the ways she does this is you might be delivering, like, room service, a room service tray, and you're just walking down the hall, and you hear this scream, this piercing scream, right in your ear at point blank range. Now, uh, people have actually quit over this. Another employee told me that uh, she was at one time locked in the bathroom by the bar, and she had gone in, and she she tried to get out, and she didn't know why she couldn't get the door open. Well, it turns out it was barricaded uh, with a bar stool, and no one claimed to have any knowledge of how it got there. So that, again, was attributed to the ghost. Now, uh, Jeffrey Dahmer was, of course, um, influenced by... Popular culture, and one of his references was his favorite movie, which was *The Exorcist* three. He actually used to uh, invite people over his victims to um, watch this film, and and I got to tell you, I did watch it this week, and and by the end of the film, I wanted somebody to kill me. But uh, I, you know, I have, I have to say that he was inspired by this film because it has a character in it. Um, a serial killer called the Gemini Killer that takes human body parts as trophies and is also, uh, he dies in the electric chair, but he is sent to uh, possess Father Karis's body, the uh, exorcist from, uh, one of the exorcists from the uh, first movie. And so then this uh, serial killer actually um, is taken to a mental institution where there's also a lot of um, elderly patients with dementia. So what the serial killer does is he projects his consciousness into these unwilling hosts, these, um, you know, poor elderly people, and has them commit the crimes for him. Now, um, this was uh, something that was really exciting for Dahmer and he wanted to emulate the killer which you see uh, you see um, over on uh, the left side you see the emperor from uh, from return of the jedi wearing those distinctive yellow contacts you also see the gemini killer from the exorcist three to the right he's also wearing yellow contacts so this Dahmer represented evil, being possessed by evil. And uh, the yellow eyes, he would put those on. He'd watch the movie. He'd put those um, yellow contacts in because the yellow eyes helped him to feel like he could emulate the characters of the Emperor from Return of the Jedi and the demon-possessed killer and the exorcist too.
1: And also, real quick, so the night he was captured, he was watching that movie with Tracy... Tracy Edwards. Tracy Edwards, yeah. who was... The, the guy that went to the police, and he's watching that movie, and Tracy Edwards said he would like get into a trance during different parts of the movie and freak out. And, and the yellow eyes, as the police were taking him out, his neighbors were like, what's going on? And he starts meowing like a mm-hmm. cat with yellow eyes. He starts meowing as he's being walked out.
2: Wow, like, I had not heard that. I'm like,
1: that's weird.
2: But um, so one of our See You on the Other Side episodes um, at... Uh, Othersidepodcast.com is about uh, William Peter Blatty and how he was in turn inspired by uh, real life cases of demonic possession. And this is where we get into some local history that might surprise you. So uh, many of you might have heard of that 14-year-old boy. Uh, the, the pseudonym is uh, Roland Doe. He was exercised in Missouri. But you probably haven't heard of the earling possession in 1928. This was a 23-day hour ordeal performed by a real-life Wisconsin exorcist whose fellow priest referred to him as a warrior knight. Now, um... This guy here, uh, Walter Halloran, he was um, one of the participants in the exorcism uh, that's better known, um, the exorcism of Roland Doe, and he is uh, buried, buried in Milwaukee at Calvary Cemetery. But, uh, we dug him up for this program. <laughs> yeah, that would be great. Um, but, so, Theophilus Reesinger was an exorcist that, in his career, he uh, was said to have exercised at least 22 people successfully, and he was actually profiled in Time Magazine in 1936. He was ordained in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, at St. Francis Seminary, and um, he went on to practice in the Marathon Appleton area. Now, uh, he was brought the case of a woman um, who some people call uh, Anna Eklund, other people call uh, Emma Smith, Mary. Um, This was a 40-year-old woman who was from Wisconsin who was exhibiting all the signs of possession. And here's where in The Exorcist, the original movie, we get the pea soup vomit because she was said to um, not consume anything hardly. I mean, the, the nuns knew. I mean, she was in confinement. They knew what she was eating. So they would give her like a tablespoon of water, and she would um, throw out the food because every food, uh, piece of food they presented her, they blessed with holy water, and somehow she knew even though they didn't do that in her presence, and she wouldn't consume it. But... Nonetheless, she had this copious vomiting that went on for hours and hours. 30 and, uh, buckets. Yeah, it was like it was like that, that scene in the Monty Python movie where there's just this projectile vomiting and this little washerwoman, something like that. Well, that's how I imagine it anyway. Uh, and also the crawling on the ceiling. Uh, that was a big thing in The Exorcist and The Exorcist uh, 3 as well. Um Mary was known, or Anna Eklund was known to um, get in, in the wedge of a door like right by that exit sign and they had to like pull her down they, they felt like she adhered to the wall like a cat and um, so that's where that came from She also meowed and, No, she, and, did, she really did meow <laughs> You don't know No, they, Here,
1: they talked about it in the Be Gone Satan
2: Alright, alright So um, this is Theophilus singer. And here are some articles. I'm not going to go through them with you, but hey, stuff be going on in Wisconsin. This is what this is going to show you here. I had no idea there was so much demonic possession um, in Wisconsin. Now, if you want to read an account of the earling exorcism, uh, you can do so online. Uh, there's a version called "Begone Satan, which is free. Don't buy anybody's repurposed book of it. Just get the PDF. Um, but right next to it, you'll see Theophilus Reesinger's version of events uh, that he related in German to another priest who then translated it into English. And you can find that at the Mundeline Seminary at their library there in Mundelein, Illinois. That's one of the only places you can find that uh, that account. Now, um, possession is still uh, something that goes on today, and Roman Catholic exorcisms are much in demand. And that's evidenced by this uh, recent article from the Washington Post. However, I always thought that if you wanted to get trained to be an exorcist, you'd have to go to the Vatican in Rome, but not so. Um, in my research, I was startled to find that one of the most elite training centers for exorcisms is, for exorcists, is local. And it's called the Pope Leo the Thirteenth Institute. It trains priests from all over the U.S. And they also hold, hold an annual convention for exorcists in Mundelein, Illinois. But uh, people like you and me can't get in without a letter from the bishop. I know, because I checked. Believe me, I tried to get in. And uh, where does the Institute have its offices? In Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And where does it hold all its events? Oh, go, it's really beautiful. The the Mundelein Seminary in Mundelein, Illinois, not too far from where we are right now. Now, if you want to hear more uh, about such uh, tales of local access Exorcism and Possession, you can check out OthersidePodcast.com We have many, many episodes about Exorcism, Possession, and our favorite old scratch
1: (laughs) Okay, Uh, so they also made a movie about the Exorcism of Anna Eklund, it's a British film, somebody plays Theo Riesinger uh, the movie sucks, so don't bother. Um, but you can get it on Amazon for about $2.99 in case you are curious and need some help falling asleep. But the thing is, moving from evil, so we're talking about evil in the serial killer kind of thing, then we're talking about evil in demonic possession, and you know, there's other kinds of evil too. Even if this next story isn't paranormal at all, it's just about the evils of uh, the demon bottle.
3: <laughs> and it sounded like there was an exorcism going on just outside the room just then. <laughs> So, and, and a bizarre segue, which I didn't even know about, um, I'm from, oh, I knew this part. I'm from Mundline, Illinois. That part I knew, but I had no idea that I, I grew up in exorcism. Get Central. behind me, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, I, I do have a background in the paranormal, where I wrote a book on Chicago ghost stories in the early 2000s, but really, in a big way, I guess I had stepped away from that and was working in pop culture. I lived in Los Angeles. I worked on a lot of really awesome movie sets over the over the years, but uh, just when I thought I was out, they pulled me back in, and uh, it was the Wisconsin Paranormal Investigators. Now, when you're working in film, in production, you very frequently get people saying, "Hey, you should make this. This would be a good story," and it's never a good story when you hear that. Uh, but this one, I I don't know. It, it uh, took me back from the very beginning the first email i got was again from was jay Bichochin, the guy that runs a paranormal investigation team near milwaukee and he said have you are you familiar with the lacrosse drownings now actually who here is familiar with the lacrosse drownings okay a scattering of hands up and i was i was you know vaguely familiar as well that there was this series of drownings that would happen in the town of lacrosse and kind of like oddly regular how frequently it would happen and he said, well, we have been approached to do a paranormal investigation about this case. Would that be something that you'd be interested in covering as a filmmaker to document what was going on? And I thought, that is neat. I've never heard anything like that, bringing the paranormal methodology into an active crime scene. So I said, yeah, that's, that could actually make a good documentary. And then I was absolutely blown away by who it was that requested this paranormal investigation. And it was the town's uh, deputy medical examiner. So the coroner, the guy that, the man of science who is examining the bodies and the environment and doing all of the scientific tests and trying to come up with a conclusion of why this is happening. Why did this person die? As he would always say, it's his job to speak for the dead since they can't speak for themselves anymore. That's amazing. Somebody from this position is asking for a paranormal investigation. And, um, yeah, go into the next slide really quickly. Um, This is just a really quick timeline of the series of events of the deaths. Uh, I'm just going to burn right through it. 1997, a man died. Uh, his name was Richard Lavity and this was not paranormal. There was an altercation, a guy probably a little too intoxicated tried to flee from a violent encounter, tried to swim across the Mississippi from Lacrosse over into uh, Minnesota there and he drowned. But that seems to be the trigger moment that kicked off everything else.
1: My ex-girlfriend I I lived in Lacrosse for 2 years. My ex-girlfriend tried to do that that swim. Yeah. And it's like a half a mile. Like it's it's a, oh, no, it's not you, easy. Yeah. If you're not drunk,
3: it's super hard. And if you're
1: drunk, you're going to die.
3: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so two months later, Charles Blatz passed away, also in that river, uh, in that spot. One month later, Anthony Skifton. Four months later, Nathan Camphor, So that's 1998 now. 99, Jeff Geese, 2001, Patrick Runnigan. Uh, 2004, Jared Dion. 2006, Luke Homan, 2007, on the one-year anniversary of Luke Homan's death, uh, Christopher Melancon died. And then in 2010, Craig Myers passed away. Now, there's another uh, person up there in 2002, which Mike would know from uh, living in Minnesota and being in news at the time, Chris Jenkins. He often gets thrown into this group, but he was up towards the Twin Cities. This is on Halloween night. People tend to group that in because it was such a high-profile case, and it was a mysterious drowning at first, and then... uh, the parents were able to reopen the case. And the, and actually, the um, the Minneapolis Police Department
1: reopened the case four years afterwards and as a homicide, still yeah. unsolved. But originally they just said, like the joke, death by misadventure, because he was just drunk on Halloween night. And then they came back and said, no, we think there's something more to it. And, you know, 12 years later, we still don't have any answers.
3: So... Jumping ahead, you know, I, I'm there as the documentarian. I'm not one of the investigators, and I'm behind the camera, going back and forth myself. Am I? Is this just coincidental? Is this? Is there some sort of a paranormal influence? And very frequently, I would think that no, this is just inexperienced drinkers. It is a college town. Um, this is going to happen. But you know, then you have the case studies. You just go upriver a bit to Winona, Minnesota. Deaths are not happening at anywhere near this rate. And the regularity of it and the profile of the victim, they're all athletic, well-educated, college age, which makes sense. But it's not only college students that are drinking there. Uh, People that are dying, it's so, um, you could set your clock by it in a way that the FBI two different times came out looking for a serial killer. Both times that was debunked. Uh, And then you look at the individual cases, and this is what really did it for me is that one of the victims here, he transferred schools away from Louisiana because that college required them to take a swim test. And he had that big of a fear of water. So he would never be down there on his own. And one of the big ones also was uh, uh, one of the, uh, the final uh, people that passed away. We know his entire timeline. He went to a wedding reception, was dropped off near his girlfriend's house. He had to walk a couple of blocks east to get to his final destination, uh, but he actually ended up walking a mile and a half, zigzagging across downtown, Somehow, finding himself at the river's edge and walking into the river, um, fell through ice and passed away there. There's no reason, no way he would be out that way. If he's turned around, you're going to figure it out before then, and also uh, security camera footage was captured of this man, and we see that he's walking alone, so no serial killer is uh, is leading them to their doom. So. A paranormal investigation was conducted. Step one is history. There's so much history of this place. Uh, I don't have time to get into it. But one of the really unique things we got to do was do a paranormal investigation on a boat over the site of wreckage of a tragic shipwreck with casualties. That There's a, a depth finder, and you, we, could, we were able to find the exact place of the wreckage. There was never a moment where a specter stood up from the river and said, I did it. It was me. But there was enough little things that it left you knowing that more investigation needs to be done. And we talk about evil and the pop culture. Paranormal investigation and pop culture are infinitely linked now, ever since Ghost Hunters and Ghost Adventures. And this documentary uh, was such an intense experience to be on. But one of the great things about it is it brought attention to what's going on out there. The need to be aware, to be careful. And uh, just I, awareness is a, a really big thing. And maybe the awareness to tell other paranormal investigators hey, you pick up where we left off and continue searching for us.
1: And uh, so, you know, evil coming from a paranormal direction. One of the things that I really enjoyed about uh, your movie, Scott, is that it's this whole idea, because I, when I lived in La Crosse and we, I, when I was in the news and we covered the Chris Jenkins drowning from, from Minneapolis, you really thought it was, you had no paranormal idea. Like, why would these guys jump in? Either they were too drunk or somebody pushed them in and it was some kind of plan. But this idea that somebody from the water might be calling them. You know, that maybe these guys thought they were being a hero. Maybe they heard a girl's voice. And real quick, what's that? What did you hear
3: about the girl's voice? Well, there was a, uh, one of the victims on the riverboat was a younger girl who we think, maybe if it's a residual haunting, not even something like trying to lure people in, maybe there's the residual haunting of someone dying and calling for help that, and who's gonna answer that call but young athletic men that can say, oh, I can go in and save her. Right.
1: And, and that's also uh, in all different, across cultures, we have these examples of these calling spirits. Uh, Alice, when you were talking about Hawaii before, there's the calling spirit, and you visited the site of a calling spirit, you didn't jump in though, right? Yeah
2: no no I, I stayed far away but but yeah i mean it's weird how you know so many uh, cultures have um a story of of something that calls you into the water like uh, the calling spirit in hawaii is you know someone you know beautiful woman that calls your name and uh you know young boys in hawaii are told you know if you don't know that woman you don't go because she's trying to lure you to, to your death the, uh these spirits you know, look attractive, so they get you into a dangerous situation like in too deep into the water, and then that's it for you. Um, there are similar um, legends in Native America, in uh, local uh, Native culture, of uh, something called a water panther. Uh, Mr. Bijou is what it's called in Ojibwe. And again, it is a predatory creature that calls you to the water and drowns you. Yeah, right in
1: Minnesota, we talk about Christopher Jenkins, where he went in, the Lakota had a a legend about the calling spirit, the water panther, you know, in that specific spot in the Mississippi River. So... These things cross cultures from Eastern Europe to Hawaii to Native, uh, Native American culture here in the United States. And so what's happening in the – that's a different, like a very non-human, uh, like scary kind of evil. And I think for our, our last story today, we want to go to something newer. And it might surprise you guys, but I heard that you can find evil shit on the Internet. <laughs> what are you
0: talking yeah, about? That, right? no, I don't know. I'll leave it on that one. All right, so uh, who here knows of the Slender Man? Please raise your hand. Okay. Who here knows the Slender Man? You mean mean (laughs) We got one, all right. (laughs) The Slender Man. Uh, We would be remiss if we didn't talk about him because he's been in the news so frequently, and it hits very close to home here with what recently happened in Waukesha, Wisconsin. Uh, So I'm going to give a little, a brief history because we're short on time here, but uh, it's Fascinating to see how he went from just a spark of an idea to this widespread throughout pop culture and throughout real life and became this permeating force of evil that so many of us are familiar with. So the Slender Man character actually came to life, so to speak, in 2009 on a website called Something Awful, otherwise uh, known as Creepypasta, and there was a contest for submit your best paranormal picture so a lot of people were submitting photographs, you know, of things, orbs and uh, pictures. Oh, I think I see someone in that window. We all have some of those, right? <laughs> yeah, <got> sledder, <laughs> um, but if you could go to the next slide, please. But one of the people who submitted pictures was by the name of Eric Knudsen. And he submitted a couple of images that just really struck a chord with people. And a lot of it had to do with the captions that went with them, where he, you know, he he took these older photos it's, it might be kind of hard to see on here, but he photoshopped the image of Slender Man in the background and then kind of added a little narrative that made it strike a real chord with people. He was inspired a bit by H.P. Lovecraft, which you can, you know, maybe the tentacles of Slender Man have something to do with that. But uh, if you could go to the next slide, please. His initial creation spawned a ton of other artists to create their own versions of the Slender Man. And if you do a Google search, There's thousands and thousands of different renditions of him, all similar, a very tall, slim man. Some people believe he was inspired by the German uh, folklore from the 16th century that was der Grossmann, um, Grossmann. which was (laughs) a similar tall, slim man uh, lurking about in the woods. But another potential source of inspiration is the paranormal phenomena known as shadow people. And has anyone here ever seen a shadow person? Okay. Uh, Shadow people is a fascinating topic, especially hits close to home because, you know, you guys have seen them. And it's a topic that I used to listen to Art Bell all the time. And this was one of the topics that really drew me in because whenever Art Bell would have call-in time and he would bring up the shadow people, it would just be call after call after call and people reporting seeing a dark figure of a man. Sometimes he'd be wearing a hat, became known as the hat man. Um, sometimes would have red eyes, but he had a a sense of impending doom whenever he would be in the room. And it seemed like too many people were seeing this for it to be coincidental. So it really truly became a paranormal phenomenon that's inspired tons and tons of pop culture. But, you know... Not only artwork, but this also inspired lots of fan fiction, and I enjoy reading that kind of stuff. I think a lot of us do. (laughs) And it's neat to have that kind of inspiration to be able to come up with creepy, scary uh, stories of evil. In some of the stories, he abducts children, he motivates people to kill other people. And then in some of the stories, he takes children in because some of the fan fiction has him as a character that was bullied as a child, and so he can relate to the children that were bullied. So...
1: Uh, could you go to the next slide, please? Once again, the, the sympathy of evil there. Like, right. You know, we're finding right. an excuse for why they do what they do.
0: But where the fiction part crossed into the real world, big time, was close to home here in Waukesha. And uh, that was in 2014 on May 31st, uh, Saturday. Two young girls in middle school, inspired by the Slenderman mythology, they took one of their best friends into the woods and tried to stab her as sort of a sacrifice to the slender man. And this is, I mean, this was hard for all of us because, you know, a lot of people know the victims, a lot of people know the families of those two girls there. Um, But this is where you can see the spark of an idea that was just, you know, an artist's creation. We all love creating things in art, but where it crossed over and it kind of combined with young women who were very, at, at that age, you're very you know, susceptible to peer pressure, you're susceptible to suggestions of ideas, and with so many stories on the internet and YouTube faked videos and Photoshop things, and then combine that with mental illness and the evil crossed right out of the internet into the real world here. So um, if you could go to the next slide please. Well that's when Slenderman became front page news. So it wasn't just internet geeks that were into Slender Man now. It's everybody. It's you know Mom, dad, grandma, uh, the neighbor next door. <laughs> our, our grandma loves the Slender Man. <laughs> but you know, yeah, it's, it's, everybody knows who the Slender Man is. He's, he's more well-known than a lot of the actual characters that have been around forever in pop culture and spawned a ton of different movies. One just came out this year. A couple, several just came out this year. Um, some of them actually were from before the stabbing, but it seems like after that happened and it came into mainstream, a whole bunch of other creations... Came about. A video game, Slenderman video game, terrifying children and adults. Um, there's Android phone Slenderman game, and it's just permeated culture. So um, the evil that was just one artist's idea, a spark of a thing, combined with the internet meme and the commonality everybody, you know, we all have the internet, and it's not like when we were kids where if you heard a story, a ghost story, it really was kind of word of mouth, or maybe you go to the library and get a ghost story book. Yeah, I, I still believe the story about the guy and the dog and the peanut butter. <laughs> <laughs> I, I gotta go. But you know, children with access to the internet, Googling Slenderman and finding videos that are actually terrifying uh, led to a tragedy and the truest form of evil. And of course,
3: a scary story in and of itself isn't evil, but then the, these acts that came mm-hmm. out of it, there's, there's evil.
0: Right, right, exactly. And the
1: obsession with the thing is these girls too, and the obsession with evil too. You, you, we were just talking about Jeffrey Dahmer. His obsession with he wanted to be like the Emperor from Star Wars. Like you remember, Star, everybody's like, I want to be Luke Skywalker. I want to be like who's like, I want to be the Emperor, man. Yeah, look at that ugly
2: dude with those yellow eyes. I want to be lightning. right, right, right. Um, so, you know, we, we've we seen a, a lot tonight uh, in terms of how uh, life imitates art and art imitating life, and you can also read more about the Slender Man, and including uh, my own connection uh, to uh, the Slender Man story and Mike's as well in the Slender Man Mysteries by um, Paranormal author, Nick Redfern. And you got a picture in there. I, I,
1: I mentioned, but I, I don't know why he got a picture. And you
0: guys can see why, right? Well,
2: um, but yeah, but, but,
1: yeah, he thinks he's beautiful. But, and, oh, go ahead, Wendy.
0: I just wanted to mention one other thing that's really interesting from the paranormal standpoint, and that is just the concept of um, a thought form or a tulpa where a lot of people thinking and focusing on an idea, whether it's good or evil, starts to manifest itself to reality. Like, we don't know how or you know how it works, but just the energy of everybody concentrating on this one thing, and then people start seeing it, whether it's the power of suggestion in our minds or not. But you know, Santa Claus, right. <laughs> like he's the biggest tulpa, probably in history.
2: Right, and a lot of people don't know that that very night before the Slenderman right. stabbings, that um, there was a radio broadcast which talked about the Slenderman being a tulpa and coming into reality, and I was listening to that and. <sighs> that's that's why I'm in this book because uh, i w- I had been listening to it um, and then I turned on the news and found out about the Slender Man stabbing right after that night of uh, listening um, to people discuss nationwide uh, stories of uh, the Slender Man becoming reality
1: that that host is here today Schrader. <laughs> yeah. he's here he'll be here in an hour on uh, uh, talking about uh weird stuff so like First of all, the, the paranormal family is really small. <laughs> like, we're talking about it. Oh, yeah, I'll be here in 20 minutes. But that whole idea, and I think, Allison, when you, when you said that, immediately, like, when I first heard that, oh, yeah, they, we were talking about Slender Man at Coast to Coast last night. Right. All I could think was, like, did, did that make it happen?
0: You know, I know right. that's a thing you hate to think of, but yeah, like, did that even make if, it happen? Even if the girls, like, you know, weren't necessarily listening to the radio that night, but just the notion of people all over the country listening to the C M station right and they were planning
2: it that night at their slumber party
0: right exactly
2: and so it it was going it was going down uh right when a paranormal investigator was talking to Dave Strader um about uh about the slender man and how people had started reporting seeing the slender man in reality and he thought hey it's crossing over and then i turn on the news and i'm like oh my god it happened
1: Right, that's like, that's like in the Mouth of Madness style right, thing, right, right, right there, like, oh man, do you read Sutter Kane? I'm out of here. <laughs> all right, so we're a couple minutes over time, but since the next panel here isn't until uh, 6.30, we can talk for a bit. Um, does anybody, any questions? <laughs> uh, any questions or comments or th- things they wanna contribute?
3: Well, fine.
1: Well, okay. Yeah, <laughs> I, well, oh, we got, I have got one back there. Don't be shy. Oh Yes, no, please don't be shy at all. I mean, we're not gonna berate you yet. Yes. I don't know if anybody's aware, but
2: across the street, the rave, Eagles Ballroom, is also known to be haunted. Right. Um, I work in the media, and I talk to a couple bands and artists who have actually seen little figures, tall figures, like in the green room, and, the pool.
1: and I don't know if you guys have ever experienced yourself. So the question is, uh, the, the comment is about across the street from the Ambassador Hotel in Milwaukee, is the rave slash Eagles Ballroom... Um, which has been a, a music venue for you know 60 years
2: right and every time you you have a band go there they always post photos on Twitter of this disused pool that's in the basement because it uh, the uh, rave is also the uh, Eagles ballroom um, it was built in 1926 uh, uh, it's also uh, was a, a club for Eagles members a health club and they had a beautiful pool in the basement and that first year of being open, a young boy who was actually a champion swimmer at school, He was on the swim team, he ended up dead in the pool, and um, so that—that's who I think haunts it. Although you know, there's other uh, hypotheses as well. But actually, that whole um, area uh, up and down Wisconsin Avenue, I call it—I uh, call it a Milwaukee's haunted Main Street because there are so many hauntings right along Wisconsin Avenue, and why would that be? Well. Of course none of us know but there is a hypothesis in um, parapsychology that uh, perhaps water uh, carries spirits or is a medium um, for uh, spirits um, to manifest themselves or uh, to be entrapped and that street wisconsin avenue used to be known as spring street because there are many natural springs running underneath the ground i mean that That might not be it, but um, I I have just heard so many stories um, from uh, Wisconsin Avenue that it makes me think that there's something going on in that particular area.
1: Well, in Haunted Rock and Roll, (laughs) Matthew Swain writes about how people have claimed to see the ghost of Buddy Holly.
2: Yes, but uh, he wouldn't die until a week later. Uh, His, uh, yeah, in, in Iowa.
1: So, but, it was only a week later. And maybe right. he just thought the Eagles ballroom was so badass. He didn't right. want to leave. but he did kick his next off, was in Iowa he
2: did um kick off his his winter music party there. Um, it was a, at that time known as George Devine's million dollar Ballroom. So um, he did kick off the, that that uh, winter tour there. But yeah, he wouldn't die for more than a week later in another state.
1: Another reason I think that people might think that the Eagles Ballroom in the Rave in Milwaukee is haunted is because it was mobbed up. And it still might be mobbed yes. up. They're like, okay. <laughs> uh, and no, and, that, and that's obviously snitches get stitches. There, and whatever.
2: There's a, or end up in ditches, <laughs> as I've heard. It's told to me very loudly. Um, hey, anybody else have any other questions? Yes. You up in front.
0: So, yeah. So I've lived in Milwaukee until like last year. So another thing I would say is when you think about the history of Milwaukee, we were originally like a brothel area. And oh, yeah. And they like pointed out the different spots and everything. And You think of um, Shaker's, I've actually gone to Shaker's Bar and it's just been weird, I uh, did two Cream City uh, things
2: there. Oh, they've got a ton of tours, yeah. I was just there last night. (laughs) Uh,
0: For those of you who don't know, Shaker's Bar is this haunted, it's the most haunted bar in the United States.
2: Well, Bob, the owner, loves that. Loves to say that he, anyway. He, he's, he's <laughs> but, I'm um, sorry. Marketing. I'm sorry. Go on. It's a great place.
0: No, it's it's interesting. But the the thing
3: is with Milwaukee, there's so many different crazy sh- that happens that we're known. Yeah.
0: For. And, I mean, people when they find out I'm from Milwaukee, they're like, Oh, did you eat anybody? Or you know?
2: Uh, yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, because the right everybody in Milwaukee's a cannibal, yeah.
2: obviously. Obviously. <laughs> well, thank Milwaukee. you for sharing yeah,
3: that. We've got to be quick, but yes. Yeah. Okay.
0: Um, other than the whole Milwaukee Jeffrey Dahmer thing, yeah. um, Jeffrey Dahmer wasn't the first serial
2: ki- or the only serial killer. Absolutely, Milwaukee Walter Earl Ellis. Thank you for Walter, sharing that. And then Yes, and um, a, a former Milwaukeean, Robert Block, actually wrote Psycho based on the exploits of Ed Gein. And um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I actually had that in my slides. <laughs> but I, I would have hogged all the time. So. But, but thank you for, for mentioning that. But, yeah, I mean... I feel like Ed Gein, though, gets a lot of... Too much. Like, the
1: reason that he gets all the... The like, thing is because of Psycho. Because he really only killed one person.
2: Yeah, but he was a, a necrophiliac. That well, I'm not saying he's right, that. Right yeah. I'm just saying that the, the, what captures the imagination is that whole cannibal killer the imagery type thing,
0: right? Of, and of him the, dancing under the moon in the right, skin suit and everything. right,
2: wearing his skin suit. Yes.
0: Absolutely. Buffalo Bill from Sansa Lambs.
1: Right. Ed Gein.
2: Right. So Texas Chainsaw Massacre as well. Yes.
3: Puts lotion on his skin,
2: <laughs> or else gets the
3: hose again. So
2: Wisconsin is weird. Yeah. Next slide. Just the next slide. Oh, a- And actually,
3: speaking of, see you on the other side. I, I always, I love pimping this one because it was such a fun episode. here Toby, uh, uh, Toby Hooper Necrologue. You guys oh, really get yeah. into Ed Gein and, oh, yeah. and all of that since he was the director of Texas Chainsaw.
1: Well, I mean, Ed Gein Gein spent the rest of his life here in Madison at Mendota Mental. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And so, Allison, didn't you have a... Not Toby Hooper. Not Toby Hooper, no. Toby Hooper, he would have had a better career. I
2: had a a college instructor. I was taking a poetry class from her, and uh, she was actually a volunteer um, at the facility. And uh, they would come and have dances with the inmates once a month. And she reported to me that she indeed danced with Ed Gein. (laughs) That was her no, claim that's, to a, that's a and dance she,
1: about right. And she said that uh, he was like sweet, right? Yeah.
2: Along with Aww. being Milwaukee's poet laureate, she also danced with Edie. There's the sympathy right. again. Well, there's the Susan stuff, Fear we, there's the stuff she's
1: good at. And there's the stuff we care about. That's
2: right. Susan Fear is her name. Oh, the last yeah. name was Fear. Yep. How do you get that as a last name? <laughs> it's not spelled that way. But my last, pronounced name, that my way. last name rhymes with puberty. That's I know. It's horrible. You, you couldn't even get married and change it like I did. <laughs> right. So sad for you, Mike. All mic. right. Any more thoughts about evil? Yes. Go ahead. Um, I'm not sure how
0: well-known this is, but it's knowing that you guys seem my professionals. I was wondering if you <laughs> We fooled her. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. Ex- yeah. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Oh, oh. That, that recent case? Uh I know, it was like before I was born, I think. Oh. Okay. Oh. Um yeah, I don't I don't know about that one. What, could you tell us a little bit more? She was kidnapped and they found uh they found
1: it all over her body and then
2: all the way down I think in like North Carolina or something. Yeah. Oh wow. Oh, oh what happened was um it actually was oh man oh, that's horrible yeah um, there's there's a more recent case um that i don't know what the developments are but um it, in wisconsin there was a young girl whose parents uh, were found murdered and there was an amber alert um that mm-hmm. came out on her when she went missing so it's still a developing
0: story well, um, we can definitely answer more questions if you want to stick around. But I, before everybody drizzles out, I just wanted to thank you for attending this yeah. and for being a great yeah, audience. Thank you and so awesome. much. Thank you very much. And, and, and for being, being an awesome-looking audience. Yeah, we <laughs> all like this.
2: If you'd like more of this weirdness, we have over 200 episodes freely available for download at uh, othersidepodcast.com on any topic you can think of. We've covered it. Not
1: um, unicorns yet, but we're no. working
2: on okay, the unicorns. Okay, yeah, unicorns. I
1: saw in the lobby we got <laughs> to yeah. catch the guy in the lobby really quick. Come on, it's
2: the sound. national um, animal of Scotland. But, They're real. But one last thing to connect
1: to that. You were talking about a child oh. disappearance. When we were discussing the Slender Man earlier and his whole uh, history of like the, this idea that the Slender Man abducts children and everything, mm. in Waukesha in the 1930s, there's a very famous case of uh, little Lord Fauntleroy.
2: It's in a- this book. Yeah, and they,
1: um, they find a kid all dressed up, like in his finest clothes, his suit and everything, and they find him in the bottom of a quarry, and no one claims him, and they have no idea where he came from. And so the press called him Little Lord Fauntleroy, and it was c- kind of Jean Benet Ramsey of the 19... 19- I mean, after the Lindbergh baby. Mm-hmm. Um, it was kind of the Jean Benet Ramsey kind of story of the 1930s. And that, that's another example of some kind of famous child violence uh, that happened in Waukesha. So I guess the lesson is don't raise your kids in Waukesha.
0: All right. But do come to the ghost tour there. Yes.
1: Yes.
2: And love each other.
0: Treat each
1: other with guys. All right. So find us at OtherSidePodcast.com. My name is Mike.
3: This is... I'm Allison. And Scott at What'sYourGhostStory.com.
1: And Wendy. All right. (laughs) Stay weird, everybody. We'll see you again.
2: Thank you you so much.
1: Evil often hides in the form of good intentions. For the song this week, we go back to this worn-out but still valuable quote from Friedrich Nietzsche's Beyond Good and Evil. He who fights with monsters might take care, lest he thereby become a monster. And when you gaze long into an abyss, the abyss also gazes into you. The mantra of revolution is often that once a few necessary evils are taken care of, they can stop, and that the ends will justify the means. But whether it's the French Revolution or the Bolsheviks. History hasn't borne that out. Meet the new boss, same as the old boss. Here is Sunspot with Evil on Evil.
3: for listening to today's episode. You can find us online at othersidepodcast.com. until next time see you on the other side. We had an awesome
1: time this last week doing a Google hangout with our Patreons, and we make sure we do that every single month to keep in touch with the people that make see you on the other side podcast happen. If you're interested in becoming a patreon just check out othersidepodcast.com/ donate. Now, while we would like to thank our entire Patreon community, our man, Dr. Ned, is at the level where he gets a shout-out every single episode. Thank you so much for helping to produce See You on the Other Side Podcast, Dr. Ned. Your feedback, your friendship, and, of course, your financial support is incredibly appreciated. All right, if you guys would like to join again, othersidepodcast.com slash donate. We'll see you on
2: the other side. Gonna...
0: Oh. Yeah, I, have it. On here? I love
3: how many people show up to a panel on evil. What a cool crew.
2: <laughs> You're all terrible, terrible people, you know that, right? <laughs> We're gonna burn in hell together. <laughs>